we're full of, we're kind of happy because a lot of things have happened and we're joyful and we, you know, sing and we're just glad to see people and then you have weeks, don't you? Stressed, sad, angry, anxious, worried, discouraged, disappointed. You ever had one of those weeks or months, years? It's a hard thing. How about 20 years? 20 years of just kind of frustration. God shows up, but just frustration. Well, um, let me move around here. I gotta sh- want to show you something. Here's what I know about emotions from my own life, and then certainly from dealing with folks over the years, is we don't like negative emotions. We don't like feeling bad. When negative things happen, we run, we anesthetize, we, um, when I get off, I tend to probably hibernate. I literally go in like this cocoon and I, I, I just isolate and I want like to go into some kind of sensory deprivation and just leave me alone. My wife will go into busy mode where she just is like this like whirling dervy of activity and so she doesn't have to feel. Uh, some people get very controlling when they get really stressed and very judgmental. Others go into just like different forms of escape. Some are good things that take into excess. Some are addictions, things that are bad. And yet, you know what's really strange about all that is very rarely do we ever or let's just say it's very difficult for us to enter into those emotions. And to enter into those emotions with God, it's not easy. Actually, can I tell you one of the reasons why it's not easy? It's because we're secretly, somewhere in our mind, we kind of like aren't real thrilled with God based on our circumstances. We're not sure he's really is he really going to come through for me? Or is it, you know, he's let me down before, maybe we think. And, and so he's not really a safe person to process. Or he's going to tell us, you shouldn't feel that way. Which we've all heard probably sometime ago. You shouldn't feel that way. And I believe God does not debate our emotions. I don't. I think if we feel what we believe, and he wants to go to where we believe. Even with the, um, uh, who is this sharing? Were you just sharing about the, you were sharing with me about Mark 6, going over on the boat, uh, when Jesus sent him over on the boat. And you know, when he rebuked them, he said two things. Why do you fear, and why do you not believe? He attached emotion with belief. Why do you fear emotion? Why do you lack faith, or why don't you believe? The real issue is belief, and that's where the emotion of the fear came from. So I'm sitting here sitting thinking, you know, this week was kind of a mixed bag for me. And I always wonder why sometimes I struggle running to God with my emotions. And yet, at the same time, I feel like he's grappling with me. And we're kind of in this little grappling kind of thing where he's actually wrestling with me and I'm trying to get away from him and because he's using emotions. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one of these key characters in Scripture. This painting I have was 
given to me by Mike O'Donnell, and you're not, you might want to come up and look at it afterwards. You're not going to be able to tell much from way back in the back. But I, he didn't know that probably my favorite Old Testament Bible story is Jacob wrestling with God. It, I, I, don't, I mean, I have a lot of favorites, so I, you know, and I always like, in my head, I kind of rank favorite Old Testament stories, favorite things that have impacted me, favorite verses. I do that all the time. This is Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. If you, if you do come up and look at it, I'll just explain it. Obviously, I like to think of it as the sunrise, obviously. Um, these are angel wings. Jacob right here wrestling the angel down here. And to signify that there's a little fire kind of petering out there. But I love this painting because it reminds me of what you and I are constantly in with our lives and with God. So with that, turn with me, and I decided not to do a PowerPoint. You know what? Sometimes you just got to break it up, but what that puts more demand on you, because here's what happens when you don't have notes or PowerPoint. Your mind's going to wander. It is. Trust me. Um, so you're going to have to work extra hard to figure out where I'm at. Um, and sometimes I won't even know where I'm at. So um, you just, you're just going to have to really work really hard this morning. But I just want you to know that I believe we have a, somebody here in Jacob that in an actual wrestling match with, I, with God, and I'm going to tell you right up front, but don't believe, you don't have to believe me, you don't have to agree with me, you can even argue with me. But I suspect it was an early appearance of Christ. That's my opinion. You don't have to believe that. You can tell me I'm, you know, and good people would argue with me, but I like to think that. That's just something fun for me to think about, that an early appearance of Christ. They're called Christophanies. So, chapter 32 of Genesis. Let me just read the story, and then we'll just talk about his life. The same night, Jacob arose. So what's happened? Let me just, oh, I probably should set it, because you won't get any, you have to know the context. Let's talk about Jacob. Jacob was a twin. He was the second one out of the womb. Esau came first, and he was red and hairy, and his name Esau means kind of hairy. Um, and he, but he's red, hairy, and he becomes this incredible outdoorsman kind of guy, manly man. And uh, Jacob comes out last, but he's grasping his brother's heel, his foot. So they named him Jacob, which means one who grasps your heel, but it became to be known as deceiver, trickster, somebody who, who uh, somebody as you're walking by sticks their foot out. That's, you know, that's the one. That's the one who plays the practical jokes. The, you know, it's the one that all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're out $20, and how did that happen? I mean, he's just, he, and that's what his name means. So think about going through life. Hi, my name is Deceiver. Yeah, so that's what happened. So he began, and you know what? His dad really liked Esau better because Esau was your man's man. And honestly, Jacob kind of liked to hang around and cook with mom and hang around and just, he was kind of a mama's boy. And dad liked Esau better. Let me ask you a question. You got a funky name that people would make fun of, and you got a dad that likes your brother better. Anybody like want to play dime store psychologist and say that's going to probably mess you up a little? Uh, to me, yeah. And so now after tw- he, he, he has to get away from his brother. 
Because he knows once Isaac dies, his brother will probably kill him. Because why? Because he cheated him out of basically the birthright, the inheritance. He tricked his dad into giving him the blessing by disguising his voice and putting goat skin on his arms because his brother was so stinking hairy that goat skin somehow felt like his brother. And he tricked his poor dad who was kind of blind and uh, couldn't see. And he tricked him and he got the blessing. And Esau basically traded it away, the first part. He traded away for some stew. And then the second part, he got tricked. The blessing, he got tricked. That birthright, he gave away. The, the blessing, he got tricked. And Isaac got tricked. Deceiver. Trickster. Always had a con game. I'll give you this good stew. Because you say you're starving to death if you give me the birthright. Esau, very passionate, sensual man. Yeah, I, I need the stew. I, what do I care about a birthright if I die? And he gives away the birthright. The blessing, though, he, him and his mom basically stole it, deceived. That's Jacob. Jacob goes away, way up north, up near, well, modern-day Syria, probably up in that area. And he, he goes to a relative to find a wife. And he stays there 20 years. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Seven years for the wrong wife, seven years for the right wife, and then six more years that he had to stay to, to build up the flock and pay off Laban. So now God's told him to come back. So he sent his, some men ahead down to Mount Seir, it's where, near where that Petra is, if you know where that is, at the bottom of the Dead Sea. It's a really cool place. But he was, he's there. He's, he's a, it's the founder of the Edomites. Edom, Edom means red. He was red and hairy. Edom, that's what, that kind of had been named Edomites, or Edom. So he sends some, some of his, his fastest horses or whatever down there to talk to Esau. Because you know what? Esau's still really mad at him. He knows that. And he just says, hey, I'm coming, brother. I'm your servant. You're my Lord, my master, which he's basically flipped the whole thing because when he stole the whole birthright and blessing, he became the master and, and, and his brother was going to serve him. But he takes the other approach and says, hey, I'm coming. I hope we're all cool. We all good? He saw you and me, brother. We're good. Next thing he has is his men come back and says, Esau's coming with 400 men coming up from the north. 400 men. That means he's coming with bad intentions. Jacob is shaking in his boots. He, he, for the first time, prays and begs God to help him. Then he divides up his his, 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 into two camps, all his possessions. He's quite wealthy at this time. With the hopes of if Esau comes and attacks one, the other one can escape. Then he separates his, his kids and his wives, takes them across this, this little brook, Yabek or Jabek, and he takes them across, and then he goes back to the other side. And that's, let's just read that. That same night, he arose, so it's in the middle of the night, he took his two wives, his two female servants, where all his kids came from, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. 
He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. So verse 24, he was left alone. So it's, it's believed that he went back over, crossed the stream again, and just sat by himself. Now, I'm not sure why he did that. I've been thinking about it. In, in, if I'm thinking really bad about Jacob, I'm wondering if something happens in the morning. And if Esau attacks in the morning, would he have time to escape and leave his kids behind? That's what I'm thinking really bad. Maybe he just wanted time to think. I don't know, but it's a little strange when you have a menacing brother with 400 men to leave your family. It doesn't make sense to me. But let's say he was trying to maybe avoid the fight. Maybe he was trying to avoid the conflict. And he's scared. He's pretty sure his brother's coming after him. Verse, middle of verse 24. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Let me just finish reading this. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hips was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So it's a, going at it, and all of a sudden, just a mere touch puts his joint, his hip joint, out of, out of socket. Then he said, let me go. Jacob says, or the, the, the angel, or the man, or early appearance of Jesus, whatever you want to say, said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, deceiver. What his name meant. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then asked then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. That's who he thought he was wrestling with. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose, get that, the sun rose up on him as they passed a, a, an actual city called Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew, um, of the thigh that is on the hip socket because that angel touched the socket of Jacob's hips on the sinew of the thigh. All right, so let me just hit some key points here. First of all, I believe we're at the end of something with the idea that the sun was rising. If you have your Bibles, just go back to chapter 28. I want to show you something. Our, um, authors and, and writers do really unique things to tell you what sections are supposed to be together. And if you look at chapter 28, after he's deceived Esau and, and done all these things, his parents say, go to Laban. And verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. That's where his uncle Laban was, I guess. I guess that's how he's referred to, but and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Because the sun had set. And there he has his first experience with God. God identifies with him, connects with him, gives him the, the ladder up into heaven with angels going up and down. Basically tells him he's his God. And right there begins something interesting. The sun has set. There is going to be a dark period in your life. 
And I think we see the end of it in chapter 32, when he, after wrestling with the Lord, the sun rises. I believe we have a whole section here. And what is occurring in this, those chapters in those 20 years is Jacob is losing his identity to the unhealthy identity, and he's building a relationship with God. I have a theory, and again, I may be wrong, but I've seen this in life, that at first I bet he despised his name. Despised it. It was like, because, you know, can you imagine? Deceiver, deceiver. You know, I mean, can you imagine on the playgrounds of wherever he was? I don't know. I mean, can you imagine just people saying, you know, oh, can't trust Jacob, deceiver. You know, can you imagine what's going on? And then all of a sudden, I bet he figured out, you know what, if they're going to call me that, all right, I'll get whatever I can. And he became good. I think he was a charmer. I think he just had a way about him. He was just a charmer, and he just was always thinking a couple steps ahead. And you know what? I believe at some point what he despised became his identity. You know what? I'm good. I'm good. Look at this. I got, I got the birthright from my brother. Idiot. Big, rough, tough guy. You know, can you imagine the sibling rival? You know what I mean? Just like, you know, just mocking him. And then he got, he got the blessing from his dad, and, and, and his mom was actually encouraging him to be deceitful, and he went along with it. And he is just, he's just one of those guys that, you know, you, you just wouldn't trust. You wouldn't trust him with your blender, because somehow it becomes his blender. I mean, he's just one of those guys. And yet at that moment at Bethel, what, that's what he named it when he had that first, when the sun was setting, I believe it began, the mark. You can mark it where deceiver was going to lose its grip on Jacob and his relationship with God was going to increase. And it's a process. So he, what has happened? He goes to Laban. What does Laban do? Uh, Jacob's madly in love with Rachel. And Laban says, oh, work seven years and you can have her. He works seven years and he thinks he's sleeping with Rachel. And he wakes up with the Bless her heart, whatever, weak-eyed Leah. Just don't you just feel bad for Leah? You know, it's like, can you imagine? He wakes up and he's so mad. The dysfunction, you think there's like dysfunction in that family. I mean, just like you're amazed that, you know, there's a whole nation out of that whole family came out. But it's God's intervention. But can you imagine just how hard that would have been? And so for, he works another seven years for Rachel. And then, then come the womb wars where... I mean, everybody wants to have babies and, like, you know, having babies, I'll, maybe I'll be loved and I'm not loved because I can't have babies. And, well, here's my maidservant. And, I mean, just like, like Jacob's got women going in and out of his tent and babies popping out everywhere, and it's this crazy scene. <laughs> it's this crazy scene going on. I mean, just read about it. It's like, whoa, and all their crazy names. And, um, but that's the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where we, we get those. But he's learning something. The trickster is getting tricked. The trickster is getting scammed. And you know what? He's getting blessed even though he doesn't really have much leverage. But God keeps blessing him, so much so that eventually the sons of Laban and then Laban begin to turn on him and he escapes, and that's where we get this scene. 
Let me just say this as a way of connecting. What is your identity? What is your identity? You say, well, I'm so-and-so, whatever. No, no, no. What, and, and when you get down to who you really are, what is it that you say about yourself? What have you been told your whole life? What is the one thing that you heard as a child that's still with you today? What is it? You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You're unlovable. You're worthless. Can I tell you what those things do? Those really hurt. And those things do not go away easily. But you know what we do with those things? They become motivations. We go out of our way to prove. Yes, I am going to be good enough. You are going to respect me. Or you know what? I'm going to do so much good for you that you have to love me. And you know what's really strange about it? It does work initially. Some people who are successful have been motivated, like what we consider successful, have been motivated by a lifelong fear of their identity and so afraid to be exposed. But they've used it to say, you know what? Nobody's ever going to call me worthless again. And they work and they work and they work. Or people give so much love, hoping that somebody will love them. But the problem is, those strategies turn on us. And all of a sudden, we're left with, who are we? What happens when Jacob has no tricks up his sleeve? What happens when 400 armed men are coming and he has no defenses? What happens? Why would God lead him out into the middle of this, this plain, this this little river valley to be destroyed. Why would he do such a thing? And he cries out in a prayer, and then he begins to do his little manipulation. Two different camps, and he goes on the other side, and we're all on a God journey. We all do this. Sun sets for a period, and then we finally get to a sunrise, but that period in between is so significant. It's where we begin to discover some things about ourselves that we don't really like. It's places where we begin to question, why do I do the things I do? How, how do I know I'll ever, I'll ever truly be accepted for who I am if I stop doing? How will I ever know if I'm loved if I stop doing? Because the only reason in our minds that people love us or respect us or accept us is because of what we do. And so we're on the hamster wheel, trying to keep it all going. And there comes a time when God takes us on a journey. And it's hard. Do you know our biggest struggle is not with Satan? Did you know that? Our biggest struggle is with God. And if you don't know that, I, I, I'm, I hate to break it to you, because sometimes when we say spiritual warfare, we always have to ask the question, but God, aren't you in control? Couldn't you stop this? When I'm angry at somebody that's in my life, 
Don't at some level I have to say, God, you're sovereign. Why would you put this rascal in my life? Do you know our greatest struggle is with God? And it's not a bad thing, as we're going to see. So here's our buddy, deceiver. And he's sitting there, maybe by his campfire, just thinking, maybe trying to plot his exit strategy or what he can do and how he's going to do this. And maybe he's just trying to think through, what can I say to Esau to manipulate him? What can I do? And maybe he's just sitting there, and all of a sudden, bam, somebody grabs him from behind. Who do you think he thinks it is initially? Esau, don't you think? Uh, I would. My greatest fear has come upon me. And they're going at it. It sounds like it was quite the wrestling match. It, it sounds like they just went at it. And, and it, I think in Jacob's mind, you know what? We're pretty even here. Maybe I have a shot. And, and I think this... This angel, I'll just call him angel of the Lord. This angel was making it seem that he could kind of, maybe Jacob could win. And so he's wrestling, he's wrestling. And all of a sudden, the angel, just just to make sure Jacob got his identity straight, didn't yank his hip out, didn't pull his leg so his hip came out of socket, um, it would have been quite poetic if he would have grabbed his heel and pulled and pulled his, I think that would have been really cool, the grasper of the heel pulled out of the socket. That's what I would have done just to make a really cool connection. But no, he didn't need to do that. All he did is touch. And at that moment, Jacob knew, I'm not dealing with a man. I am not dealing with a man. Here he is fighting, and now all of a sudden, His whole life has been one of wrestling. He wrestled in the womb, it says. He he wrestled with his brother. He wrestled with Laban. He wrestled. He just is always wrestling with people, fighting people, struggling. And now God has entered into the fray. Can I tell you, sometimes God acts like our enemy. And he isn't, but sometimes he'll take the appearance of somebody that's hurt us. Sometimes, if, you're, if you have a parent that hurts you, sometimes he'll act like that parent. It seems like the circumstances, you're acting just like my mom or my dad or my siblings. Why are you acting like this, my boss? And we wonder, why are you doing that, God? I thought you were good. I thought you were loving. And he steps back because he says, you know what? You got to deal with your identity because until you do, until you know who you really are, You'll never flourish. You'll never know. And so he wrestles with us. So let me just reiterate. So then this angel of the Lord said, Let me go, for the day has broken. Why would he say that? Because he doesn't want to be seen. is the best guess. He doesn't want to be seen. He wants to keep his identity hidden. That's why he attacked him in the night. That's why he wants to leave. It's, and it could be for Jacob's own protection. That he not see God. Or he lest he die. It could be something. But he says, let me go. And Jacob says, nope. 
I'm not letting you go. And you would think he would because he knew this was God, but he says, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Isn't that interesting? When you're wrestling with God, one of the key elements is if you're going to wrestle with God, I don't want out of it. I don't want to be free until I'm different, until I get what you have for me because you never wrestle me without purpose. You never do that. There's always a reason. There's something you want to show me about yourself that will reflect on who I am and what I am and what I'm doing. Jacob did this as an act of faith. He said, in essence, I know you're God, and I know you have the power to bless me, and I'm holding on. This is a huge thing because most of us just want out of the trial. We want out of the emotions. We want to escape. We want to numb. We want people to stop doing what they're doing. We want everybody, the whole world, to just kind of morph itself into something so that we can just live life. And we just say, get us out of it. The wise person says, slow down. Lord, you're sovereign. What are you doing? What are you doing? I do not want to go through this again, Lord. So I'm going to hold on to you. Even if I don't understand, I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me. What's your name? What's your identity? You know, and I think in this moment, when he says Jacob, he feels the weight of his identity. I think it came out deceiver when he said it. I think it's as much of a confession as anything. I think he's come to an end of himself. I think the name he despised, but then he embraced, is now at the end. And he's, he's like, I, I got nothing. None of my deception is going to work with my brother. He is going to kill me. I have no more tricks up my sleeve. There is no ace up my sleeve. There is no uh, little magic show I can do. My brother's out for blood, and he should be, because I'm a deceiver. I think he's at the end of himself. He, the, this angel knew his name, but he wanted him to own it. Do you know that God does that all the time? You know we have to own our stuff. You know this, right? God, you know, we always say, well, God, you know how, who I am. Uh, Adam and Eve, where are you? You don't think God knew where they were? They needed to own that. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? Well, he knew who told them that. They needed to own this. It's actually an act of grace when he asks us, who are you? Who are you really? Who are you running from? But you are afraid you are. Who do you think you are? Who are you? And until you and I own it, 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 it lies mask. This is extremely personal to me. Because I never knew I had 
a fake a false identity. I call it my fake ID. I never knew it. Because I think fake ID is fun. I actually, don't tell my parents, but I actually had a fake ID for a while. <laughs> Hopefully they're not here this morning. They got confiscated. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. I'm off on a tangent. But I had a fake ID, and I didn't know it. As, it's, as I've tried to be very open, a year ago, just over a year ago, I hit the wall. God orchestrated the perfect storm for Mike. It wouldn't have been the perfect storm for you, but it was the perfect storm for Mike. Over the course of about a two-year period, but it, he, he built it up to a crescendo, and I snapped. And I couldn't do ministry anymore. I couldn't do much of anything anymore. I was, I was shot. I, I can't begin to tell you I was shot. And then the question began to pop up, who am I if I can't do? If I can't do, who am I? And I didn't like it. And I'm going to be very vulnerable here. Here was what I would go around saying to myself and occasionally to Marcy. I hate myself. Why? Because I don't know who I, because I can't do. Now I can't get a fix. I can't minister. I can't love. I can't do. I can't. I hate myself. But I don't know who I am. So who do I hate? Does that make sense? You can hate yourself, but if you don't know who you are, and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know who I am because I can't do, and I don't, what? And I'm having this, like, existential crisis. So who do I hate? Do you know it took the darn near the whole time to get down to the bottom of that? And at that, at a moment, at a moment, at one of my worst times during my sabbatical, one of my darkest moments where I'm on a rock in a boulder in Colorado screaming at God to kill me, two hours later, he finally revealed, and I finally owned my fake ID. <sighs> I wasn't a victim. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I, I mean, I grasped this. I held on to this identity. And I never knew it. Never knew it. And it was at that moment, and from that moment to this moment, he's been building the authentic self. That identity is based on I'm beloved of God. It's been a wrestling. I probably walk with a limp now. But the limp, you know what I've thought about Jacob? He had one good side and one bad side. On the one side, he walked normal. You know, he kind of walked normal. Jacob. And then Israel. Jacob. Israel. Always had a reminder. Always had a reminder of who he was. Who was he? One who strives against men and God and prevails. It's kind of the literal translation. What does that mean? You know, some translate it God's warrior, but I don't think that's actually correct. 
Do you know what that means, I believe, is? He, did, he wasn't striving against Esau and winning. He was losing. He wasn't striving against God and winning in this fight. He was, he was toast. That, that angel, all he had to do was touch his heart, and he's dead. I mean, it's, this is not a fair fight. What did he do? He surrendered to get a victorious identity. Isn't that funny? Victory through surrender. Lord, I surrender. And God gave him a new name. One who fought, but he fought. He finally gave up and held on by faith that God is a God who blesses. And he got a new name. And he must have been so different from that point on that his children and grandchildren now would not, out of honor of his spiritual change, his transformation, would not eat the very joint of the animal out of respect for the spiritual change in Jacob. You know, I'm here to, I don't know where you are, but there's always, there's little skirmishes and there's big ones. I'm talking about big ones here, but certainly this applies to the little ones. But if you're running from your emotions, your pain, if you're running, I, can I tell you, he's going to keep wrestling you. And until we humble ourselves, let me just tell you one other thing about this journey. Although this journey looks like it was just God and him, my experience has been you need help from another person. Very rarely can you do it on your own. Very rarely. It's just one of those things. He's built us for community and relationship, and we need others. And I've learned that because I didn't want to have people help me. I wanted to do it all on my own, and I couldn't. And I'm seeing it more and more. He wants others in our lives to help us, that we be humble and that we receive but just even your little skirmishes, when's the last time you allowed the Lord in to what you're feeling? When's the last time you were angry and you slowed down the process with the Lord? Because you know anger is always secondary. It's the secondary emotion. The first emotion is I've been hurt. Anytime you get with an angry person and somebody's yelling at you, can I tell you there's something going on before that where they were hurt, even if it's irrational, they were hurt. They were hurt by you, and it can be just totally wacky stuff, like me getting mad at my wife when she asked me, why am I going this way? And it's like, why am I, you know, and she's like, don't treat me like I'm an idiot, you know, I'm like, and she's like looking at me like, I just want to know why you're going this way. <laughs> and it's like, what happened there? Well, for some reason, I felt disrespected. And that hit something core in me. Why, why can't we process that? with the Lord or with somebody else. Why can't we? When we're sad, why don't we just slow down and say, Lord, I'm really sad here and I need to process. Lord, help. I'm anxious. Help, Lord. Instead of saying, I shouldn't be feeling that way. If you do that, it's not helping you. It's not helping you. I shouldn't feel that way. No, you feel that way because you believe something. And the Lord is in the business of changing belief. I gotta stop. I could go on forever. If I keep going, I'll start telling your guys stories. So, yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that. 
worship team, come on up and just, I, I have no idea why you're here. But you're here for a reason, and I doubt if it's for the person next to you or somebody else. I believe, God, there was something in this that you were supposed to hear. Because, and if you don't know what that is, can you ask him, why am I here? Lord, why was I supposed to hear that? If you felt yourself shutting down emotionally during this, that's a sign that God was getting close to something. If you shut down emotionally, that's a sign. Because we only shut down when we're scared and fearful about what lies on the other side. If you were stirred by some thought of something that you gained probably since you were a little girl or a little boy, if something stirred in you, can I tell you what? You need to begin there. If you don't know why you do the things you do in the present, especially when you're stressed, that's a place to start. But start the process. Start wherever you're at. Start. Because there's a blessing if you just hold on. Lord, we just come to you right now. Spirit, I have no idea how you want to use Jacob's life in each person's heart. But Spirit, I know you can. Lord, there's a handful of people out there who are really hurting. They're at their end. Lord, would you let them know that it's not just wrestling. There's a hug in there of how much you love them. And that you see their pain. And you don't want to anesthetize it. You want to do deep identity surgery that they might know that there is, they are beloved and there's nothing they can do to make you love them more and there's nothing they can do to make you love you less. They are beloved of God. For others who are starting a journey and they're going to faithfully begin, Lord, I pray you meet them where they're at. Affirm them in the journey to see what lies behind the curtain. Because, Lord, you never just want, you, you don't even enjoy the changing the facade of somebody's life. You always want to go at the core of who we are. And it will affect everything we put our hands to. So, Lord, do a work this morning. And just take a moment in the presence of the Lord. He's here. He sees you. If you would, just let him in. Just keep dialoguing if you're in his presence, you sense him doing a work in your heart, 
There's no need to even stand for this last song. You can just say seated. But if you have begun that process, sing to the Lord that you are getting a new name, a new identity. The old will be past, the new will come. Lord, we give this, we give our lives to you and we hang on until you bless us in your name, amen.